We're going to pick up with the book of Acts starting next week. We, uh, we've been preaching through Acts and kind of took a break for the holiday season. And always the first Sunday of the year, I think it's a good time for uh, the pastor to just share some encouraging words, some challenging words to the church as we, as we get ready to begin a new year. And I'm going to have a little bit more to say about the video that you just saw. Our, our fourth Wednesday nights here at Bartlett, at the Bartlett campus are going to be devoted to opening the Word of God and hopefully answering some of your questions. One of the things that I've realized as a, a pastor, just a Christian in general, is that one of, the, one of the things that the enemy uses in so many people's life, unbelievers and believers alike, is unanswered questions. So many people struggle and wrestle and say, well, what, you know, I, I know I, the Word of God says this, but what about this? And, and, or does the Word of God say this? Or where does the Word of God say this? And, and so we're, we're taking it from a perspective that God has spoken. Uh, we, he's revealed himself to us through the scriptures, through, the, through the, the, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible that we have here is our authoritative word um, for life and practice. Um, so the first Wednesday night, which is coming up here in January, I think it's the 23rd of January, we'll have our first session. And so uh, we're going to actually use that first Wednesday night to answer this. Can the Bible even be trusted? Because everything else that we're going to do from that point forward is going to be seeing what the Bible says about particular topics of our day. So if you can't trust the Bible, then really nothing else matters. And so that's, that's going to be our first session. And I'll say a little bit more about that uh, here coming up in just a few moments. And so I, I looked at 2 Peter chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Uh, it's, it's so full and so rich, and I think it's so beneficial for you and me. As we look at 2019, there's really a question that Peter ask in this chapter, and it's basically this. In light of where we are in this time and place, in light of our witness, our gospel witness as the church, in light of the, the, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and, you know, come what may, we don't know what 2019 is going to bring necessarily, but we do know this. There's a question that's being posed to all of us this morning, and that question is, what kind of people ought we to be? What kind of people should we be in light of who we are and everything and that we know? So looking ahead again, 2019, I think every new year, um, it comes with some new hopes, some new dreams, maybe new possibilities, new beginnings, new plans, new goals. I think it's healthy to do that, to, to evaluate and examine where you are in your life. It's always a good time to do that around the first of the year. But we also know that it's probably certainly going to be a year of new challenges, Probably some new disappointments, probably some new struggles, maybe some new tests or attacks or new sorrows that we um, may not be prepared for. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be in any way uh, pessimistic this morning because if you know me and you can ask my family, you can ask my wife, is I am the eternal optimist. I, I truly, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm very, I can be very guy, uh, gullible and naive in that respect where I, when I come to meet people and especially new people is that I always try to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. I always try to look for what's best in people. Oh, we, when we face tough situations, I, I typically, you know, not always, but most of the time I try to keep a positive spin on it and remain optimistic through all of that. But I just want to share with you this morning that as your pastor, when I woke up New Year's Day, there was just something that was pressing on me. And, and really, 
to, to try to boil it down the best I can to effectively communicate why I chose this passage of Scripture is it, simply that the idea that something about this year, about 2019, um, I'm not up here trying to give you some prophetic word about you know, what's going to happen in 2019, but I just have this, this sense about me that our time, and, and this is tr a true statement no matter what, but our time is increasingly growing shorter. I mean, we can all agree, whether, whether it be our time to go to be with the Lord or the time for this nation to come under maybe some challenges or tests or judgment or maybe it be the time for the, 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 the events leading up to the return of Jesus Christ to begin to, to uh, unfold. And we know that Jesus uh, is definitely uh, yet to return but is coming soon in the future. And so we know that our, our time is short. Paul, Paul said it this way. He said, our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He's talking about our, our final redemption, that when Jesus returns, our ultimate salvation. You know, we've been saved, we've been redeemed, we've, we've been born again, but there's still this corrupt world and all the system and all the evil and all the darkness and the pain and the sorrow and the sickness and all that that's yet to be um, uh, rectified, and, and that will take place, obviously, when Jesus returns. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, besides this, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. He's speaking to believers. He says, it's time for us to wake up because, why? Your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So there's that sense of, of urgency. Paul is challenging us to have that wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ, and, and we need to be reminded Today, the first Sunday of 2019, that it's a great opportunity for us to answer that question, what kind of people are we called to be? Now, if all that is true, then there's also something else that's true, is that we have a common enemy. We actually have several enemies, whether it be the world, our sinful nature, the flesh. But we have a common enemy. He's known by many names. His name is the devil, the, the accuser of the brethren, the, that ancient serpent, Satan. And, and, and if this is a reality that we as the church are facing, looking ahead and knowing that our time is short and our salvation is nearer than it was before and that things leading up to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ are, are in my opinion, quickly approaching, uh, there's just so much out there that you begin to look at and see from a biblical perspective, and you just, you, you just, everybody has this sense. I believe if you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, you just kind of have this sense. If anything, the battle is intensifying, is it not? Is anybody else out there tracking with me? The, the battle, the spiritual battle is intensifying. And so if it is intensifying, that means that our enemy is also on high alert. He's all, his senses are also heightened. The forces of evil, the demonic forces of darkness are, are definitely um, on, on guard and, and they're on the attack. They're on the prowl, if you, if you would say. And, and the devil is on this suicide mission because he knows his end. He has nothing to lose. He already knows his fate. And so the devil and his forces of darkness are, are ruthlessly, mercilessly, relentlessly stopping at nothing to steal, kill, and destroy everything and everyone in his path. And, and I think that that's where, when I woke up New Year's Day and I, and I had this sense of urgency is probably the best word, it led me to 2 Peter chapter 3 because it reminded me of the encouragement and the challenge that Peter gives the people of God in the midst of where we are right now, looking ahead to a new year and answering that question, what kind of people ought we to be? Now, that little word ought is interesting 
because that word ought is, is a verb, but it implies something. It implies moral obligation. It implies that there is a level of expectation for God's people to be and to behave and to think and to do a certain, to be a certain way. And so there is something to that when we look at that question, what kind of people ought we to be? So I'm going to do something a little bit unique this morning. I want to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, about the first, well, as a matter of fact, I'm probably just going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to kind of let it sink in. I think it's worth doing that. And then we're going to unpack it a little bit, um, section by section. And I think I have a very relevant message for the church this morning. And I pray that God will speak to your heart through his word. So let's just open up 2 Peter chapter 3. Just kind of let the word of God wash you this morning as I read it. And we'll move on from there. 2 Peter 3.1 says this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. This is Peter. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and of our Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. And they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He's speaking about Noah's flood. So he talks about creation. He talks about the flood. Again, another time of total judgment on the whole earth. Look at what he says then in verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth now exist, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Amen. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all, now listen, this is kind of the, the key verse, kind of the hinge of the whole passage. Look at what it says in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, dissolved what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'm going to go ahead and finish the chapter, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, again, be diligent to be found by him who? Jesus, to be found by him when he comes without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these, man, of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. But you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever to the day of eternity. Amen. Fascinating passage. 
So when I break this passage down, there's basically five characteristics I want to share with you this morning about what kind of people we ought to be. The first one is this. We must be the people of the book. And I ne- I'll n- it'll never get old for me to preach to you that we've got to be people of the Bible. We've got to be students of the Word of God. That We've got to, be, we've got to hold fast to the, to the sound, essential doctrines of the faith. We must be people of the book. That's what Peter, Peter refers to the Scripture so many times in this passage. He, even, he speaks of it in the very first part of 2 Peter. Real quick, quick, quickly, I want to share this with you. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's Peter saying? He's saying you've been given the word of God. You need to pay attention to it until Jesus returns. It's a mandate, it's a commandment, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expectation for God's people that, if, that what distinguishes us from the rest of the world is that we hold fast to the Bible. We believe the Word of God and that it is the Word of God. We believe, as was said on that video, God has indeed spoken. And if He has indeed spoken, then that changes everything for us. He places essential emphasis On the word of God, Jesus said it this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is our life. Unfortunately, we see that the church, and I'd say more specifically the North American church, we have regressed in biblical literacy. The reason I know that, I shared with you maybe a few months ago, Ligonier Ministry puts out this state of theology uh, survey that they do every year. And every year we see the same trend, that people who identify as believing Christians, evangelical Christians, we are, we are regressing in our understanding and our belief of the essential sound doctrines of the faith. This is very much a very difficult and a very disturbing problem in the church. So you have people who identify themselves as Christian, but if you ask them what they really believe, it's hard to believe that they are truly Christians because the things that they have to believe to be a Christian, they don't believe. It gets very discouraging and disturbing. Fewer church attenders even know the essential doctrines of the faith, and therefore naturally fewer of them are holding fast to them. We've got to return to the Bible That's what the Reformation was all about. The Catholic Church had a monopoly on the religious system. Most of the scriptures in in the Middle Ages were not even in the people's common language, so nobody understood the what? Nobody understood the word because they never never had the word in their own language, and that's what the Reformation, it it made the word alive again because they made a commitment to return to the truth of scripture and give it to the people in their own language so they could read it for themselves and understand it, and the whole world was changed during the Protestant Reformation. And you started having the printing press, Bibles were printed, began to be distributed all over the world. Man, what a blessing we see today because of that. I don't know, some of you have probably seen this video it's been on Facebook and YouTube around, but there, there's this video going around where it shows a group of Chinese believers who've never had their own Bible. Anybody seen that video before? A couple of you out there? Maybe not. Well, you need, you need to look it up. There's a group of Chinese believers. And understand the underground church in China is very vibrant, very alive, but they have very little access to resources. Most of them do not own their own personal Bible. And there's a video going around where they get a shipment, a crate comes in with a box of Bibles, and for the first time in their life, they've heard the gospel, they're believers in Jesus Christ, they've been discipled through teaching of their pastors and things like that, but they've never owned a Bible. And they begin to open up these boxes, and you would think that they were just getting a meal for the very first time. 
I mean, they're scrambling and scrounging and grabbing, and they grab onto the Bible, and they pick it up, and they hold it just like this. And it's like, this is the most precious treasure thing that they've ever had, the greatest gift they've ever received in their life. Now, think about your house right now. How many Bibles you got laying around? I got so many Bibles in my house, I, I probably don't even know where they are. And then, you think those Chinese believers are going to read that Bible? You think they're going to cherish it? You think they're going to study it? You think they're going to dive into it and dig into it and study it? Absolutely. But here in America, we're so blessed with so many resources. You can pull up the Bible on your phone right now at the touch of a button. You can look up any scripture, any cross-reference, the original languages. You can go to your house. You've probably got dozens of Bibles like me laying around, and they're just collecting dust. And that's the state right now of the American church is that we have so much information, we have so much access, so many resources, and yet I don't see the hunger that we need for the word of God for us to be a people of the book. Now that goes back to what's happening on Wednesday night. I feel like, and this kind of came from several people in the church, but they, several of you began to talk to me and ask me, you know, you know I just have questions. I, 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 there's there's this question my friend posed me. Somebody came to me at work and asked me this question. I didn't know how to answer those questions. And Brother John and I got together and said, okay, well, well, let's just start taking some time to try to answer some of those questions. By the way, you can help us determine what top 10 topics we're going to teach and preach on on those fourth Wednesday nights of the month by simply going to, we have a survey posted on our website, on our Facebook page. You may have even gotten an email about it. I think Ms. Ginger Blunt sent an email out, and many of you probably got that. Do that for me. Just go, go in there. I think there's about 26 different topics. You can go in there. You can choose your top 10, hit submit, send it in. We're going to get the results back, and we're going to be, begin to teach those uh, to the church as a, as a means of discipleship and to, and to return to what the Bible says about these difficult topics of our day. But here's, here's all I want to share with you about being a people of the book real quick. First is this. Everybody in this room should have some type of a system or a plan to study the Bible. I'm not going to tell you what that plan needs to be. Everybody knows your own schedule. You know your own parameters. You know what you can do, what you can't do. But it's not necessarily what plan, Bible reading plan that you have. It's just that you have one, right? And then, then you stick to it. How many of you are like me? Sometimes at the beginning of the year, I have this, these great intentions. I'm going to read through the entire Bible over 2019, and I start really strong in January, start to fade in February, and by March, I'm just... I give up. Anybody ever identify with that? It's not about a legalistic requirement for you to do a religious exercise, okay? The reason that we're encouraging you to have a plan and to stick to it, to be in the Word of God consistently daily, is because that's how you pursue your relationship with God. It's about pursuing relationship. It's about saying, okay, God, I love you enough and value my relationship with you enough to set aside a little bit of time every day just to hear from you. That's why it's important that we do have some type of a plan. The other side about that is this. There's, really, there's basically two perspectives on Bible study, Bible reading, all of that kind of stuff. Okay, The first is this. We have to have the knowledge of the Word of God. Okay, So when we, when we read the Bible, we, begin to, we can study it. You can go deeper in your study. You can listen to the voice of God. You're getting to know God again, pursuing relationship. You understand His heart. You understand his nature, all of those things. You can even begin to memorize scripture. So the, so the first aspect, when you read and study 
and, and hear the word of God and you, you, you're in a class, a teaching class or whatever it may be, that begins to penetrate your mind. That's when you get, get more knowledge about God, okay? When you begin to memorize the scripture and meditate on the scripture, guess what? It begins to go from your head and it starts to penetrate your what? Your heart. It's very, very important Y'all hear me in this. It's very important that we get away from the head knowledge of the Scripture and we, we make time to make sure that it's starting to resonate in our heart, okay? Because the other side of, under, uh, of the, the essential nature of the Scriptures is not that we just know the Word of God, and you've heard me say this and I'll say it a hundred more times, but we also do the Word of God, right? Mr. Chris Ellison, that's, I think that's his life verse, don't just be what? Hearers of the word only, but be doers so that you do not deceive yourself. And so, that, so when you make a commitment to have a Bible reading plan or you begin to study the word of God, do it for the knowledge, get, meditate on it so that you ask God to get it into your heart, but then also it should go from your head to your heart to your what? To your hands, so that then you have something to do with the Word of God. Okay, well, how am I going to put this into practice? How am I going to apply this practically in my life today in the various ways that we can serve other people and serve in the life of the church? So it's very, very important that we are a people of the book. Let me ask you this question. What changes are you going to make to become more devoted to the Word of God this year? Just answer that question. What changes are you going to make? What's necessary in your life right now? What needs to go what needs to change in order for you to become more of a person of the book? Number two, we must be people of prayer. If the word of God is our spiritual food, prayer is like our spiritual breath. You've heard me preach on this multiple times, and I'm going to say it again. The essential nature of prayer, we can't survive without it. It's like breathing. It's like holding your breath. How long can you hold your breath? Not very long. We can't survive this, this walk with Jesus without praying very long. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I, I, you need to pray and don't give up so that, so that you don't faint, so you don't just completely be falling into despair. That's why prayer is so very essential. Or you say, where, where do you get prayer from this passage? Well, I want you to look at, at verses 11 through 14. Look at verses 11 through 14. Look at how many times Peter uses the word waiting he says it in verse 12, waiting for the coming of the day of the Lord. He says it again in verse 13, waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. He says it again in verse 14, beloved, since you are waiting for these things to happen. Well, you know what? I begin to correlate. You know what? People who are praying people have to learn how to be waiting people. Anybody there with me? How many times do you, you say a prayer, you begin to petition God about a particular situation? Very rarely does he answer that immediately, does he? Sometimes he does. I'm not discounting that. But rarely he does. And I think there's a process in that. And there's a, there's a, very perp, there's a great purpose in God forcing us to be patient and to wait upon him, to wait upon the promises that he's given us, to wait upon his provision that we're asking for in order to wait for these things to come to pass in our life because he is, he is teaching us how to become dependent upon him. That's what it means to wait. It's, it's acknowledging this one fact. There are so many things in my life that are outside of my power and outside of my control. 
And that's why we, we are so prone to go to God in prayer because we come to the point where we say, God, I can't do this. This is outside of my control. I can't control it. I can't uh, wield some type of change or power over it. So I'm going to have to submit and, and acknowledge my dependency upon you to do something and interact and intervene in my life and my circumstances. That's what pr- the life of prayer is truly all about, dependency on God. Now, I was thinking how many pastors are preaching this Sunday morning about this very same thing. Hey, these are, these are characteristics of the church. We need to be people of the book. We need to be people of prayer. All these things, these are all good things. And we preach them and we, we, we share them and we challenge our people to do them. But I wonder right now how many believers and how many churches will actually make prayer a priority this year. I got to ask myself that question. How much is prayer going to continue to be a priority of my life? How much am I willing to resolve to improve upon my prayer life today? You may not have any prayer life at all right now. Well, you can start. You may have a great prayer life today. That doesn't mean that it can't be what? Even better. So no matter where you are in your spiritual journey and your prayer life, I believe God is calling us to become more committed and take more time to pray. We know what the Bible says. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We are to pray without ceasing. But I want to point to you uh, a, a passage from Ephesians that the Apostle Paul shares, and I think this is a very good passage to, um, to speak about when we think about prayer. We know that Ephesians 6 is the, the battle armor of God, and Paul has given his church instructions on how to put your armor on every day. We're in a spiritual battle. I already shared that with you a little bit earlier. Now think about what Paul is saying. He says this, In all circumstances... We take up the shield of faith, which extinguishes the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And listen to what he says. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You notice how I use the word all a lot? Listen to what he says. We're praying at all times with all prayer with all perseverance for all the saints. Paul is reminding us that basically God has given us in this spiritual battle, in this spiritual war that we're in right now, he's given us two primary offensive weapons. Most of the armor God is defensive. You put it on to protect yourself, but he has given us two primary offensive weapons. And it's very simple. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's your weapon. It's your sword, okay? And it's also our prayer. It's prayer. Prayer is a weapon. It's a spiritual, it's an offensive spiritual weapon that God has given us and entrusted to us for us to have that opportunity to engage the battle. And so here at Christ Church, one of the things that we want to do this year is we do want to, to open up more and more opportunities for our prayer life, for, our, our, uh, for corporate prayer for prayer of accountability, all those kind of things that are necessary. I mean, guys, I could point to the fact that we have our prayer walls, which people pray over weekly, and I think that's an awesome opportunity for you to voice praises, to voice prayers, to know that people are praying for you. Your Connect cards always have, uh, many of you fill out a Connect card every week just to show, hey, I I need prayer in this area. We are praying for those. We are lifting you up in those prayers. Do you know that there's a prayer room right, right behind the the stage right there. How many of y'all know there's a prayer room up there? Okay, some of you know about it. Let's use it. 
Make time. Sometimes maybe some of you want to get together before Sunday school or during the church service or whatever it may be. And, and these are things that we're going to help as leaders to organize, but a lot of it needs to just come out of the, the overflow of your heart and your desire to be more effective and resolve to, to be, uh, improve upon your prayer life this year in 2019. So there's so many different ways and aspects that we can become prayer warriors in 2019. But I'm just going to say it this way. This world has a way to bring you to your knees. You understand what I'm saying? It's just a matter of time. It's a personal sickness. It's a relationship problem, financial burden, death of a loved one, stress and strain at work, being bullied at school, kids. This world is a cruel place in many ways. And it has its way of bringing us to our knees. To where we just say, I give up, Lord. But I want you to look at it from a different perspective. Is that if we're going to win the spiritual battle, and if we're going to overcome, be overcomers as the Bible teaches us as believers in Christ Jesus, that we are over, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, the only way we're going to win the spiritual battle before us is to be on our what? Is to be on our knees. One of the greatest offensive weapons that the Lord has given us. But guys, let's just not talk about it anymore. I'm, I'm talking to myself. Let's do it. Let's resolve to do it. And if, we, and if we don't have the heart to resolve to do it, let's pray that God would give us the heart to resolve to do it, whatever it takes. But let, let that not um, get away from us this year. I think we have good focus at the beginning of the year. Sometimes things like this, we start off strong, but let's finish strong and let's let it become part of Christ church in 2019 so that we can look back on this year and say, you know what? We didn't do everything right, but we got that right. We were people of prayer. I would love to be able to have that testimony. People of the book, people of prayer, I need to move on. Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter is also calling us to be people of purity. People of purity. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. If you read the Old Testament, God always has to discipline stubborn Israel, Right? Anybody ever read the Old Testament like this and you're reading, man, why couldn't they ever just get it? What's wrong with Israel? They're so stubborn and idolatrous and they're always just drifting and wandering away and going to do these terrible things and follow after other gods. And That's us, y'all. Are we any different? We're not. I know there's a relationship that's a little different from the people of Israel as opposed to the church today because we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something. We're the same. We're stubborn. We're hard-hearted. We're prone to wonder. We have idols. We worship other things. It may not be wooden and stone statues, but there's all kind of other things that you put priority, you put in the place of God, you put before God. You and I both do it. And so when you think about where we are as a church, I, I see this passage where Peter is talking about the last days and the return of Jesus and the judgment and all these kind of things. And, and he reminds us in verse 10, he's talking about how the earth will be dissolved and the works of, of everything on the earth will be exposed. And he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? And he, and he tells us we should be living lives of holiness and godliness. We should be people of purity. It's talking about true repentance and being sensitive to sin and, and, and consecrating ourselves for the Lord to be used 
by him. There's a need for the people of God to seriously examine our hearts, to take inventory of our lives, to compare our lives to the word of God, to ask the Holy Spirit to expose the sinful areas of our lives that are not pleasing to God. You think about all the areas that can get away from us. We, we begin to compromise. We begin to harbor unconfessed sin. We have sin of omission, things that we should do that we don't do. We have sins of commission, things that we shouldn't do that we do. We, we have areas of complacency, areas of corruption. I mean, if we really begin to step back and examine our lives, it can get pretty ugly pretty fast if we're honest with ourselves. And so Peter is reminding us in light of all this, in light of the perverse generation that we live in today, we must return to the Lord in a true pursuit of holiness you see, sin does not coexist very well with the Holy Spirit. Hence the name, holy, right? He's the Holy Spirit. It means that the holiness of God doesn't want to look upon sin. It doesn't want to coexist with sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to coexist with the sin in your heart. And so many times when we allow the sin and the, and the impurity and the corruption of our hearts and of the world to remain and to harbor that in our hearts, guess what that does? It quenches the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It, it renders him in many ways powerless to really do the things that he wants to do in our lives because we allow this junk and this sin to stay in our heart where it shouldn't be. What happens when that happens? We become weak spiritually. We can even become paralyzed. We can become ineffective. We can live under shame. We're powerless because of the sin. And Peter's saying because of the call to be witnesses to Jesus and because Jesus is coming soon, we're called to be, live lives of Purity. Let me, let me caution you real quick how to avoid the two extremes this morning. You see, on one hand, there's what's called license. And license goes like this. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. The blood of Jesus covers me and cleanses me from all sin. So basically, I can just do what I want. That's license. A lot of people operate that way. A lot of people in the church. The other side of that, the other extreme you want to avoid is legalism. Legalism says that my worth and my value before God is all wrapped up in the things that I what? That I do for him. So if I do enough good, if I go to church enough, if I help enough people, if I say enough prayers, if I read my Bible enough, then that's what's going to keep me right with God. Both of those are dangerous. We need to stay away from them. Jesus says we need to walk in, in, in the pursuit of holiness in a relationship with God, understanding that, yes, we are forgiven and we are freed by the grace of God, but that's also we're to be like Jesus Christ. We're to be holy just as he is holy. So there, there is a calling and an expectation of what kind of people we ought to be. Church, we ought to be a pure people. We should be distinct from the rest of the world. James says that pure and undefiled religion is keeping yourself unstained by the world. Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There is an expectation for us to live pure and blameless lives before the Lord. Should that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. Should that mean we're pursuing holiness? Absolutely. I kind of liken it to um, a new car. How many times have you ever gotten a new vehicle? Doesn't have to be brand new. It's just new to you, whatever it may be. But you know when you get a new car, man, it is clean. It looks good. 
And I know in my experience, you know, the, the few times that I've gotten a new vehicle or, you know, new to me, I'm so good about keeping that vehicle clean. I mean, you get in my car with dirty shoes, I take those shoes off, wipe your feet off before you get in my car, you know? And you're kind of a Nazi about it. You just try to keep the whole thing clean. You go, go the vacuuming out as much as you can. You kind of keep the outside clean. You start to wash it. And it's got, it just keeps that new car look, that new car feel. And that goes, that goes well for a little while. But every once in a while, you know, the kids get in and they got their milkshakes and their McDonald's and there's some crumbs on the floor and you're busy and you start running and life happens and you look up after two, three, four weeks and you hadn't vacuumed the car out, hadn't washed it in, in, in a month. And that new car all of a sudden looks like all the other what? All the other cars on the road. It's lost, lost its luster. See, that's what happens as Christians. As Christians, if we don't keep a short account of sin, we start to allow a little bit of filth, a little bit of dirt to collect over here in the corner. But it's not that bad yet. And then you let a little more filth and a little more sin into your life and a little more sin into your life until it finally gets to the point where you've allowed so much sin and, and filth in your life that guess what? You don't look any different than the what? Than the world around you. There's no way anybody else can distinguish that you're a follower of Jesus Christ compared to everybody else that's around you. The way that you talk, the things that you see, the things that you allow your eyes to see, the way that you behave, your attitude, the way you treat your family, all those kind of things. If we're not careful, we can end up becoming just like the rest of the world. That's why Paul, I mean, Peter is calling us this morning to be a people of purity. Let me read this to you from David. It's very important before I move on. Listen to this. David, who was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man of great moral failure. We know the life of David, but he writes this in Psalm 51. He says, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let, my, let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a willing spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold, with, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now listen, David is confessing sin. He wants to be right with God. Now listen to the next verse. Then, only then, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Think about what David just said. David understood that he had a, a responsibility to be a representative of God in his world, to teach sinners and transgressors the ways of God. He wanted to see sinners return to God, but he knew that he had no effect, he had no power to influence other people who were sinners or transgressors until his own heart was right. You understand the principle? And that's why so many of us are so ineffective in our spiritual lives because we're not living pure lives. We're allowing all of this sin to um, paralyze us and, and guilt us and shame us and, and hinder us. And therefore, we're ineffective in teaching anybody else, sinners, the ways of God. Guys, we're being called today to a commitment of purity. We're people of the book. We're people of prayer. We're people of purity. We must be people of courage. We must be people of courage. Peter says it right here. He says, in the last days, I want to remind you, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. What's Peter reminding us? That to be a Christian in this world, especially in the last days, people are going to make fun of you. 
They're going to intimidate you. They're going to ridicule you. It's going to happen. If you claim to believe this book, you're, you're going to be called every archaic, anti-progressive bigot that, that, that the world can, can cast on you. Any label, negative label that the world can give you, they're going to try to give you if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and believe that the word of God is true. This is nothing new under the sun, right? And so what I'm encouraging you to do this morning is understand, resolve in your heart right now that if I'm going to live a life of faithfulness before the Lord and be a true Christian and a follower of Jesus in this perverse, in this corrupt generation, then I will need to be a man and a woman of courage because it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We're going to be beat down. We're going to, be, we're going to lose jobs and friendships. We're going to lose um, influence uh, in the places of work and, and in school and places like that because people do not want to hear what we have to say. Let me tell you this. We're not here to win a popularity contest. Amen. The church is not here to win a popularity contest with the world. We're here to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you can't serve two masters. You can't be both for the world and for the Lord at the same time. We understand that. We're to be in the world but not of the world. All of those things hold true. Listen to what James says. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So, guys, I'm just going to say this. Let's stop trying to be friends with the world. I didn't say stop being friendly, and I didn't say stop loving your neighbor. No, we, those, those are the commandments of Christ. But we've got to stop winning a popularity contest with the culture that we live in. We, we, we try to compromise and be cool, and, and not, we don't want to offend other people and all these kind of things, and we've done it to such an extent now that many times people don't even know where we stand because we're too busy trying to worry about what other people think of us. The world will never fully accept you. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says, if the world hated me, it will hate you. James says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. The world will never fully accept you and me for who we are as Bible-believing Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like parents who try to be your kid's friend. Guys, I don't care how much you try to be your kid's friend. Your kids are never going to think you're cool. <laughs> it's impossible. You can try all you want, and they're still going to make fun of you, and they're not going to think you're cool, and they're going to roll their eyes and all that kind of stuff. Why do we waste our time, so much time, trying to be our kid's friend? I've been accused of doing this before. Is that it, when they just need to, to have a parent. They need somebody to tell them what's right and what's wrong and what to do. And that's the way it kind of is as the church. Is we're trying to be so cool to kind of fit in and not, not offend the world. And, and the world never is going to accept us for who we are. They're just going to keep asking us to compromise and compromise and compromise until we don't have any, believe anything that we claim to believe anymore so we got to be called to courage Joshua said this be strong and very courageous be careful to do all that's written in the, uh, the law that Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it from the right or the left that you may have good success wherever you go the book of this law shall not depart from your mouth you shall meditate on it day and night be careful to do all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success have not not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened and do not be dismayed because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go Amen. And let me remind you that in this world 
no matter what you face and how much criticism you may have or ridicule or, or you're intimidated or threatened or whatever, you know, the Lord is with you wherever you go. Therefore, we can be strong and we can be courageous. And here's our last one as I wrap up. We must be people of eternity. We must be people of eternity. This whole passage is talking about eternity. Peter's talking about the coming judgments. Peter's talking about the heavens and the earth are passing away. The new, heavens and earth, the new heaven and earth is coming. And look at what he says in verse 18. Don't miss this. In verse 18, the very last verse of 2 Peter 3, y'all stay with me. I'm almost done. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Here's what I want to say about this, real simple. When we really live our lives in view of eternity, everything changes. All of a sudden, it doesn't really matter what man thinks about me. All of a sudden, it doesn't really matter if the world loves me or not. All of a sudden, all of a sudden sin isn't quite as tempting to me anymore when I understand that God's delivered me to, to, to completely rid me of all sin, that I can live in a kingdom of righteousness where there will be no more sin. Sin loses its temptation a little bit. You see, the world becomes lacking when I live in view of eternity. All the, the temporary things and the distractions of the world, they lose their luster when I think about living in light of the eternity because we're citizens of heaven and God has prepared for us a place that he personally has given us as his children and there's so much waiting for us in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the flesh is not as satisfying. It leaves us empty and wanting and therefore we understand that we're living in view and in light of eternity where only the glory of Christ matters. Only the souls of men have eternal value. Only salvation is important. Only the gospel is our primary purpose. Only the kingdom of God is what we desire to seek with all of our hearts. We've got to be a people of eternity. It keeps everything in perspective and it will, it will prevent us it will keep our eyes fixed on what's above, not what's here below, and we won't get bogged down in all the distractions and things that can catch us up and trip us up along the way. Your founding pastor, Brother John Latimer, if you've ever looked on our website, he wrote a letter to the church, and I don't know how many years ago he did this, but I want to share a sentence that he wrote in that letter, and I think it applies to everything we just talked about today. He says this. He says, we believe the old book, we believe in the new birth, we believe in the precious blood, and we believe in the blessed hope. Think about those four things your founding pastor shared as an introductory letter to the church. If you come here to Christ Church, these are, these are four essential things that we will always believe. We believe in the old book, people of the book. We believe in the new birth, you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ today. We believe in the precious blood of Christ and the substitutionary atonement. He died on the cross in our place for our sin, and we also believe in the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? The blessed hope is that day of eternity. The blessed hope is that day that the Lord Jesus comes back, and he makes all things new. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that we can hold on to. As our worship team comes on back up, we're going to close out with one more song, and I want to share with you just a simple application very simple application is going to 
start with the question, and it's going to ask you another question. What kind of person ought you to be in 2019? Guys, I could have chosen a dozen different characteristics, right? I mean, we could, we could go into a lot of different directions, but I, kind of, I wanted to bring it down to these five. It's not that they're all the best five, but I think they're pretty essential. So that's a simple question. What kind of person ought you to be in 2019? But here's the next question that's more important. What changes are you willing to make to become that person? I think that's where we get in that situation of where we have great plans, great goals, but the resolve to carry it out, to see it through, that's where many of us begin to struggle. And so sometimes you might just need to sit down and, 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 and spend some alone time, some quiet time with God and say, God, I need you to show me what areas of my life are a waste of time. They're not pleasing to you. They're a distraction in my life, whatever it may be. And Lord, what are the changes that I have to make? What's necessary changes in my life that I must make if I want to become this person that you're calling me to be? I don't know where you are this morning, but it could be you need to make adjustments in your, in your Bible study time and how you study the Word of God. Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe some of you have this unconfessed sin and you have a, a problem with purity in your life right now and that's hindering you. Maybe some of you lack courage and you want to be more bold because the dividing lines have been drawn. And I think all of us can say we want to be people of eternity, keeping our hearts and our eyes fixed on that which is eternal and that which is above. So as we sing this last song, the message resonates with, with this message. This last song is give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our soul to another, and God, let us be a generation that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. Will you stand and as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and for a new year and new beginnings. And Lord, no matter what we face, we know you're faithful. We know that you've proven yourself to love, to provide, to give us wisdom, everything that we need. And Lord, we submit ourselves to, to you today and pray, Lord, that wherever we are and whatever we need to do to humbly submit to your will and, Lord, to cleanse us of sin and to give us resolve to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts right now in the wonderful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's sing.